You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine there is. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1. O-U-T-D-O-O-R and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether and fully loaded chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Vortex Optics. Mike check. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I tell you what, man, it is gorgeous. And I don't mean like it's beautiful weather. I mean, it's gorgeous deer hunting weather here in Iowa. And there is a little part of me that wishes I wasn't tagged out right now. I wish I was out in the stand because really in Iowa, I hunted four afternoon sets up here by my house and then I went down to my uh, other farm and uh, down by where my parents live I hunted an afternoon a morning and killed my buck so I had technically seven sits in Iowa and then put an arrow in a deer so I love shooting deer but I love hunting equally if that makes sense so I didn't get to really experience the craziness uh, of the rut or the 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 grind so to speak and and there's a little part of me that wishes I was still out there um, uh, trying to do it and and I would go out and, and shoot a doe except my freezer is full I have another deer at the processor right now waiting to come home uh, when I get a little bit more space in, in my freezer and we're having, <laughs> we're eating out of that freezer almost every meal now, which is great. But at the same time, it's like, man, I, I wish I could do a little bit more hunting, but it, it is what it is. So uh, I hopefully all of you guys are out there uh, working hard 
uh, trying to find success, whether you've already got it done during the archery season or whether it's firearm season and you're out there trying to get it done with a muzzle loader or a rifle or shotgun or whatever. Um, sending good vibes to you. Today, we have a really cool story about getting the job done, sticking with it, and uh, we're talking with Sean Lambert from Vermont. Now, I can see why uh, a guy leaves Vermont to go to a, a state like Ohio to hunt public land, and uh, I'll tell you this, he, uh, every time I, I, I hear someone complain about Michigan or uh, oh, it's another state, Pennsylvania or New York. From the sounds of it, Vermont and the, like certain states in the Northeast, specifically Vermont, maybe even Maine, might be some of the toughest hunting there is just because of lower deer numbers. Now, you know, this is based off of conversations that I've had with other people, but it sounds sounds tough. So Sean, he decides, you know what, I'm going to look for greener pastures. He settles on Ohio. I think he came to Ohio a couple times before this this year and finally he gets the job done on a beautiful uh, Ohio buck and it's public land at that and he he breaks down the scouting he breaks down the terrain features we 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 break down the entire hunt get into the details about how he was successful why he thinks he was successful and uh, some other cool stories along the way so that's what today's episode is about um, if you are not finding success the only advice that I can give to you is throw some curveballs right it, whether that's your access routes whether that's uh, you know, going into a place that you haven't hunted yet this year, whether it's knocking on doors to get permission, throw your, you know, twi- shake your strategy up, dump it out and see what, what happens. And, and now might be the time to get a little bit more aggressive as we're on the back half of the rut here. So want to knock out a couple commercials real quick. Ozonic scent elimination. Uh, if, if you haven't had the opportunity to educate yourself on what O3 does, you need to head on over to Ozonics website and uh, just read up on how their system works, right? I use it on my access routes. I have the machine on, uh, the little unit on, on my access routes while I'm in the tree and in a dry wash bag at home after and before every hunt. So uh, go, go to their website and enter the discount code NFC21 and you're going to get a free dry wash bag with a purchase of one of their units. The next one is Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands. American made, one of my favorite pieces of equipment. Uh, it allows me to get into any tree I want, allows me to be mobile. As you've heard me talk on this website or on this podcast, First time in, best time in, this year was no exception. I went in there with my lone wolf, climbed up a tree, hung my stand up, shot one of the best top top two, three bucks I've ever shot. Um, and it's because I was able to be mobile and jump into an area, um, a gap in the pressure and uh, where I th- thought these deer were at. And sure enough, that's where they were at. Uh, discount code 9 fc Two one, and you're going to save fifty dollars off all purchases over two hundred dollars. Nine FC two one, and then we have Exodus Trail cameras. Again, Exodus Trail cameras have allowed me to uh, 
basically document the timber while I'm not there. I use that information in my strategy, exodusoutdoorgear.com, Excalibur crossbows. If you are in the market for a crossbow, be sure to check out excalibercrossbow.com and uh, check out their new crossbow. It's called the Twin Strike. Two, it holds two arrows, wasp broadheads, total destruction of both deer that I've shot this year. My deer in South Dakota and my Iowa buck uh, just completely destroyed them, causing them death. And that's what you want out of a broadhead. And you can uh, go check out their mechanical and their fixed blade selection at uh, wasparchery.com. Long, long discount code here, nine, the number nine, fingers. 2021 nine fingers 2021 and you're going to save 20% off of your purchase and then we have vortex title sponsor vortexoptics.com um, I'm getting to play around with a couple new products this year um, I can't wait to share that with you but great company great product great warranty the probably the best warranty uh, so go to vortexoptics.com and then lastly hunt stand hunt stand is one of those uh uh, pieces of equipment that you can hold in your phone it's an app it's a uh, it's the best hunting app it's the most affordable hunting app and it has the most robust features uh, and the only way you're going to be able to to learn more about hunt stand is i've talked about it on this on this podcast several times on how i use it go to their website huntstand.com and you will uh, learn about all the functionality and if you uh, want to purchase it I can save you 20 percent uh, off and that is SN20 SN20 and that is 20% off so commercials are in the books thank you guys very much for tuning in over and over and over again uh, the network is seeing some great growth the nine finger chronicles is seeing some great growth uh, both on on the social platforms but please if you haven't already subscribe to the nine finger chronicles subscribe to the hunting gear podcast subscribe to the sports men's nation s-p-o-r-t-s-m-e-n-s nation hyphen whitetail hunting that's the name of the the, the podcast uh, and that's the, the network feed, so to speak. So then all the other podcasts that are on the network get dumped into that one feed as well. So you can go and listen to these podcasts on their own, or you can listen to the Whitetail feed and get all of them under one, uh, under one umbrella. So let's talk with Sean Lambert about his success in Ohio. Three, two, one. All right. On the phone with me today, Mr. Sean Lambert. Sean, how we doing, man? Good. How are you, Dan? I'm doing great. I was able to wrap my tag around the antlers of a beautiful buck, and it looks like you have done the same thing. Are, are you are you pretty jacked? I'm super jacked, man. I'm super happy with the way my uh, out-of-state trip turned out, that's for sure. Yeah, awesome. All right, so and we're going to break all that down uh, in this episode, but before we get into today's uh, bread and butter, meat and potatoes conversation, why don't you let everybody know where you're from and what do you do for a living? Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm from northern Vermont, uh, about 20 minutes from the Canadian border, and I'm a union pipe fitter uh, by trade. I'm a certified welder. I've got a plumbing license, so pretty much anything, anything in that realm is my gig. Gotcha. Cool. Uh, and you work for, you work for like a, a union company or do you, uh, like own your own business or how's that work? So I work for a union contractor. Yeah. At a six, nine, three local six, nine, three. And there's, uh, there's quite a few contractors out of there. We all kind of do the same thing. Yeah. 
Okay. So Vermont, uh, my aunt used to live in Vermont and I went up there a couple times and visited her. Uh, absolutely gorgeous state. I love Vermont. Um, uh, like the Appalachians run through there, especially in the fall, you know, when all the leaves are changing, it's like every early nineties, late eighties, or uh, what, what are those, uh, uh, Bravo, not Bravo, but lifetime original movies. I feel like they're all filmed yeah. in, in Vermont. That country. Yeah. 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 What you're saying. Yeah. Um, so let's see here. First, first question, maple syrup is Vermont's maple syrup, the best in the country. Oh, absolutely. No, no doubt about it. I actually, uh, the farm I live on, we tap 5,000 trees. It's everywhere uh, where I live. We're kind of in the heart of it. Um, definitely right in the center of the highest producing county uh, in the state. So, yeah. but yeah, Vermont's, Vermont's the place to get it if you want the good stuff. Yeah. So if Iowa is the Mecca for white-tailed deer, Vermont is the Mecca for maple syrup. Absolutely. Hands down. Yes, sir. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Uh, the other thing, and I always bring this up whenever I talk to somebody, uh, from Vermont, have you heard of the Alpine slides? I have not. Okay. So man, this, this must've been somewhere in between Burlington and Manchester, Vermont, uh, on one of the sides of the mountains out there, they have a, uh, what is it like these concrete or these uh, metal troughs that run down the side of the mountain and you get in a little scooter or a little cart that has a lever in between your legs. You push it forward and you go faster and you pull it backwards and it creates friction and it slows you down. Do you know what I'm talking about now? Uh, I kind of do, but I'm not familiar exactly okay. with them. No. Anyway. So every time we'd go out there, um, we would ride on those, uh, those Alpine slides and they were fun as hell to, to ride on and sure. yeah. just wipe out. You know, you, I, they're, they may not be as popular anymore just for insurance reason, you know, insurance reasons. Right, I can right, see, right. I can yeah, see absolutely. them, those things getting canceled, if you know what I mean. Yes. In today's world. Yes, I do know what you mean. Exactly. So, all right. So this story here, before we get into this story, let's talk about deer hunting in Vermont. Um, I've had... Okay. I've had guys come on from Vermont and talk about how, you know, it is one of those states where if you see five deer a year, it's a good thing. Uh, that's that's good. Uh, and and if you shoot like a, a buck, it's a good thing. So is that right online from what you experience or is that is that not not the case? No, you're you're pretty well on. Um... So the deer hunting, I feel like, is definitely getting better, and they've finally gone to one buck. We were a two-buck state for a long time, which I never really understood, but I guess I'm not a biologist, so that's not my thing. Um, but they finally went to one buck, and they did put a, an uh, antler restriction in place, so that's that's great. Um, that's definitely helped. I've definitely seen a difference since I started hunting. Uh, but, yeah, there's uh, pretty low densities. Not super low, I mean, depending where, where you are, if you get up to into the mountains, go way north, um, northeast rather. Um, but yeah, if you, if you see a buck, generally, uh, you better, you better take him cause you might not see another. Yep. Yeah. Are there pockets of really good deer hunting in there? Because every, every once in a while you'll hear of a, a guy just slay a giant out of Vermont. <clears throat> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, especially as you have, 
as you head down toward southern Vermont, there's there's definitely more deer, and we are getting some good bucks now, and we're getting, you know, you're hearing of quite a few deer over 200 pounds, and uh, that's kind of always been a thing that there's 200-pound deer, but um, the, the horns are definitely, you're seeing a lot more good deer getting taken. It's just, it's not like when I drive out to Ohio and you're passing buck after buck after buck chasing across fields and running across the roads in front of you. Like, it's not anything like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I would say our average, and I say this as an average, you know, because there's definitely really, really good Vermont deer that do get taken every year. Um, but I would say on average, the average buck killed during our 14-day gun season is a five, six-pointer, seven-pointer that's 150 pounds or less, two-year-old deer, you know? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of two-year-olds killed, and that's why I feel like we don't have, you know, you got to let them grow, of course. Yeah. But Vermont's a super hard-hunted state. I mean, per square mile, there isn't places you go where there's not pressure, you know? Yeah. There's people everywhere. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's one of those things where, uh, you live on the East coast, right? Higher population density and you're a small state. So, um, do people come to Vermont to hunt from like New Hampshire or who borders you to the West? Um, to the West would be New York. York. So I don't ever see New York plates, very rarely New Hampshire plates, but if you go to New Hampshire, you see a lot of Vermont plates. Gotcha. Uh, if you get across that river, there's, I don't know what changes about the deer. I mean, I know, I do know it's, they've got a lot more land to roam and to hide and they've got a lot better feed quality. They have a lot of mass crop trees and, uh, they've got some really nice deer in New Hampshire. Gotcha. But low densities, of course, you know, they're, they're mountain deer. Yeah. All right. So you, you said to yourself, Hey man, I love Vermont. Vermont's awesome for maple syrup, but I want to go, I want to go chase a big deer. Um, yes, sir. Why did you decide to focus on Ohio of all places? So Ohio, it was, uh, it was, it was my choice because I've been there. So this is my third trip to Ohio and I've been out of state. I've been hunting out of state for five or six years now. And I've gone to Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Hampshire, um, Missouri, and Ohio. Yeah. And I had a really nice buck come in on me in Ohio the first year I was there, and I biffed it. You know, buck fever took over. I'd never seen a deer like that before in my life. That happens. So got all worked up, couldn't get my bow around. I was in a climber. I was sitting down. He came up from behind me. I rattled him in, and uh, he came up postured hard and and looking you know so i blew that one i went back the next year i missed a really good buck on my last day uh it was the ninth day i was there and i'd let a couple of smaller bucks walk that i probably shouldn't have i probably should have been gaining the experience and just just worried about killing deer um so i i got pretty worked up the deer came in running he was he was chasing i finally got him to stop uh long and short of it he stopped behind a tree i had to wait tried to lean back and get a better shot angle and he spooked and some reason stopped again at 20 yards and I let it fly and didn't, didn't pay enough attention. I guess I let that, that fever probably kick in a little again. And, uh, I hit a limb and I think was easily avoided, but, um, or could have been. And, uh, that deer, that deer walked away. Luckily, um, a good friend of mine that was out there with us was able to get an arrow in him that night. Uh, he came back around. I was pretty bummed that I had even 
left stand. I should have stayed there, but uh, Colin, Colin was able to stick an arrow in him, and that was great. It was, uh, I believe it was a 136-inch 10-pointer, so that was that was cool. Nice. So I needed a little redemption anyway. I need I need some redemption, and uh, I I had to do it. You know, had to do it for myself. I had to go back there and, and get it done. Yeah. All right. So. You know, you you did your research. Uh, it sounds like you had the right type of experiences in, in Ohio to make you want to go back for this third. This is the third trip, right? Yep. Yep. Third trip to yep. Ohio. Um, talk to me about the prep for this hunt. You know, not just the you know, hey, how to pack my bags, but how how do you know? How did you know where to go, when to go? Um, what did you use as tools? How did you scout from a long distance? And then how did you scout, um, when you got there as well? Yeah, sure. So, um, I knew last year leaving Missouri last fall that I was going to probably end up back in Ohio. So that was kind of where I started. I knew I wanted to get back there. And, uh, my buddies that I usually go out of state with had some plans on things that they wanted to do and they just, they weren't meeting up and I was totally cool with that. I just wanted to, like I said, I wanted to go back to Ohio and get some redemption. So, um, I had planned to do this trip 100% solo. So that's what I did. And, uh, so I started back in June. I got, a, I got on the Airbnb and I was looking around and, and, uh, there was a huge volume of houses, but they were all super expensive. So, um, that's how I was going to do it is just try to find a decent place and then go from there. So instead I was like, well, I'm going to go on on X and look at where there's some multiple pieces. I wanted to find multiple pieces of public. I didn't want to get strapped to one or two places and, you know, stuck driving two hours to get somewhere else. So I found where there was a lot of smaller chunks of public and, uh, typed in the town name in the Airbnb, found a great spot and I booked it. And then I spent over the next couple of months just, uh, cruising through, on X on the computer and really trying to narrow down some nice rut funnels and, uh, trying to look at access and trying to get away from some of those access points. And, uh, that's how I started. Yeah. Anyway. How, when you, when you booked that Airbnb, did you put a limit on yourself as far as, Hey, every morning or afternoon, I'm willing to drive X amount of miles or this distance from my Airbnb to whatever public, uh, like how, how did you put limitations on that? I figured an hour because I drive an hour every day to work. Uh, so I'm pretty comfortable waking up early and driving an hour to wherever I got to go. So I figured, you know, that wouldn't feel any different or like I'm running myself down, you know, if I can get to the spot within an hour. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, so you pretty much made a circle around that, uh, Airbnb and you said anything within this, uh, this 60 miles, let's just say, uh, the 60 mile radius is fair game. Uh, how, like I I'm, you know, I've never done any research, maybe a little bit on Ohio, um, in that, uh, 60 mile radius from your Airbnb, what were the options you were given? I mean, was there a lot of public land, a little bit of public land? Uh, you know, you mentioned that yeah, you were sure. you were looking for um, kind of smaller chunks that were out of the way. What's that mean? So I was looking at, um, I was trying to find places that were, you know, 1,500 acres or a couple thousand acres, and then maybe a couple pieces that were less than a thousand acres. There's 
there's a lot of public land in Ohio and everyone, everyone loves to go to Ohio. You know, it's a good state. They've got good deer. They've got a lot of public land. So, um, I was just trying to get out of that pressure because I've hunted it in the past and it's, it can get really difficult, obviously. Um, even with a higher density and bigger deer, they're not any less smart. That's for sure. And, uh, I knew that I had to get away from some of that wave. I feel like I always think about pressure, uh, hunting pressure as a wave, you know, it's always, you can stay in front of that tide, that rip tide, you're pretty good, but it seems like as you hunt one spot for a couple of days, that looks good and there's not a lot of trucks. And then all of a sudden the trucks start filing in and everybody starts leaving and you go to the next spot and then before you know it, there's two, three, four, five trucks. And then, you know, there's 10 trucks the next day. And um, so I was just trying to, figure I could get ahead of that. And that's why I wanted more places around me. So I could try to stay in front of that wave and stay out of the pressure. Yeah. Um, what, so yeah. What, what was your goal, uh, going into this hunt? Um, you had two years under your belt. Um, did you have a particular age class in mind, a particular yeah. antler size yep. in mind? What was your goal? So I was looking for a three-year-old deer or better, or what I figured was a three-year-old. Okay. Like, any three-year-old or did it have to uh, yeah. have some some antlers on it as well i mean i wasn't gonna shoot a little scrub but i uh i figured you know with that three and a half year old mark that generally there's some some good enough antler for a vermont boy like myself to uh be pretty proud of so i yeah. figured that if I could get onto a three-year-old and, and, uh, have a good opportunity, then that was going to be plenty for me. I think there's probably a lot of guys that would, uh, that have different standards and that's totally fine. You know, hunt your hunt. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, um, how much time as far as days are concerned, were you able to dedicate to this hunt? Before I got there? Yeah. So what, what, what I'm getting at is, you know, you're leaving Vermont it's not like, I don't know what your schedule is, but how much time were you dedicating to this hunt? Like for me, when I go out West, I was dedicating seven days. Okay. So I, I dedicated 10 days to this hunt. Okay. 10 days to the hunt. And how were you, how, what was your plan on approaching this? You know, you got there, you did your digital scouting, you were looking for places to go and hunt. Um, now you're there, you, you know, now it's time to put boots on the ground and actually get out there and start observing and hunting. Um, what was your, what right. was your short-term goal as far as the first couple of days and how did that line up with the 10 day uh, limit that you had there? So the initial goal was to get there and spend the first day pretty much just driving. Uh, I drove around a lot of pieces of public, learned the roads and I wanted to go around and through every piece of them because you go up one road and there's no pressure and things look good, but you come around the corner and realize that there's five trucks lined up there and they're just coming in. They're accessing that piece of woods from the other side. Um, what I didn't want to do with a limited amount of time is to get there and just be jumping in trees to hunt because I'm there to hunt and yeah. be wasting days. You know, yeah. I, I wanted to make sure that I had uh, some quality stand locations i didn't want to um like i said i didn't want to just be getting in a tree just to hunt because it's the rut and i'm in ohio you know what i mean i wanted to make sure that i had quality some quality spots with low pressure yeah so i just drove around those first couple days okay and what and, uh, what day did you get there so i would have got there this past wednesday night so wednesday night would have been the third the third yep right so i left home at 3 30 in the morning 
Uh, it was about 15 hour drive with traffic and, and stop and stuff. So I drove that and, um, I got there, I got a license and I found a pull off and I got in the back seat and, uh, I got some sleep, brought a sleeping bag with me and, uh, it was about 24 degrees that night. So it was a little, a little frosty out there, <laughs> but, uh, I, I woke up, uh, well before sunrise and I went and got a coffee and, uh, I started driving around some more. I drove around a little bit when I got there in the dark and just trying to look at parking areas and, uh, tire tracks, what we were looking at, how many people it looked like had been using that pull off, you know, yeah, kind of making a mental note. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so from there I just drove around the next morning and then the second day I put the boots down and I started covering ground and I was, uh, nowhere near on with what I expected for pressure. It was, it was incredibly higher than I thought it was going to be. And actually the area that I had e-scouted mostly that I had planned on hunting, I threw that thing right in the trash and I uh, started over cause there was no way I was going to get in there and not run into four or five guys a night. Yeah. And from what I hear, I've been there before where you have to scrap, uh, not this past year, but the year before when I went to, um, uh, South Dakota on, on my, my annual mule deer hunt. The first night was beautiful. Uh, or, wait, the first, yeah, the, the first two nights were gorgeous. Went in there and then I wasn't seeing the deer that I wanted to. I packed out, went clear around. And then that's when I just started running into body after body, after body, after body. Um, and for me, it was a little dis, you know, a little discouraging. How did you handle that when, you had this plan in place and then that plan instantly gets scrapped. Oh, it was discouraging. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit on the other end of this phone and tell you that, Oh, it was good. And you know, no, it sucked. It yeah. was like, damn it, man. I, everything, everything that I had, you know, you envision this trip, especially when you're driving 15 hours alone, you've got all everything's painting pictures in your head, you know? Right. And, uh, it was like a kick in the nuts. It's like, damn it, man. I didn't think this was what was going to happen. Yeah. Um, so, I just packed up and kept driving, um, and I drove to another area that was about an hour-ish from where I was staying. I hadn't checked in my Airbnb yet, Still, so I went out there a couple days early so I could scout. Um, so I slept in the truck again that second night, and it was another 23, 24-degree night, and I got up that morning and went straight to the piece of woods that I had found the night before. And uh, I had e-scouted it in the truck uh, when I, you know, before I went to bed that night. Yeah. And I found some, I found some stuff that looked good. So I went and I started stomping all over that. And, um, I was just finding a lot of boot tracks, a lot of boot tracks yeah. and a lot of leftover lunches and beer cans and water bottles and just the evidence that people had been in there pretty heavily. So, yeah. um, so at this point, yeah. right. You're, you're, it sounds to me like you're cycling through the, your, your spots that you have a been before and be e-scouted and they're just turning up dog shit. Right. So, yeah. so now what, what's, what's your thought process after, uh, you know, it sounds to me like a whole nother day of just running into more human pressure. Yeah. So it was a whole nother day. And actually this area I was, Dan, I, I'd never hunted there before. The places that I'd hunted uh, the two years prior to being there were probably three hours from where I was. Okay, um, okay. But being alone, I wanted to shorten the drive up a little bit and uh, get out of some of the more rugged terrain because I knew I was going to be dragging alone if I was successful. So 
this was this place that I had never seen a day in my life until uh, like nine o'clock at night on the third. Um, so what I did from there was I checked in my Airbnb that night. Uh, I went, I went and uh, got a shower and made a ham sandwich and kind of regrouped, thought about some things, opened the computer up, uh, got on Onyx and started looking a little more in depth. I like the computer a lot. It helps, you know, you can really blow things up and see a lot of stuff. Yeah. And, uh, so I got on there and I had found one spot on Saturday that I was pretty confident in. It was really, really sick. It was going to be a pretty tight shot, but I knew that it was a good spot and there wasn't, there wasn't any pressure that I had seen unless someone was coming from the other road. But, and I did see some deer while I was down in there. So that was, that was a good feeling to know that I at least had one cushion to fall on, you know, yeah. Do me a favor and explain to us exactly what you were looking for as far as terrain is concerned or topo lines or, you know, what are, what were yep. you looking for to say, Hey, I want to go investigate this spot. So I was trying to find anything, uh, that was a tight pinch that was, you know, your cruiser would come bouncing through, uh, what, what I would figure, you know, hopefully too, when I got in there and got looking at it, there was some doe bedding, um, on the up, upwind side of that, you know, anything on the bodies of water, you know, that they're pinched, they got to go around it. Um, real steep terrain, you know, ledges, rocks, and, um, anything like that. So that's what I did. So that third day I burned a third day again, scouting. And that's when I found, I found the kill spot right. and I knew that that was the one. What, what was the kill spot? Talk to us about, you know, I've been there before you walk into a spot and you almost get, <laughs> you get, you get aroused, right? You're like, Oh my God, this, oh, yeah. is, this is it. Walk us through what that looked like. Okay. So I got in there. Um, it was a pretty steep ridge and there was a saddle right at the top where it kind of dropped down into a bottom that wasn't, it wasn't a real steep bottom. It wasn't like the one I had walked up out of to get to it. And where that was, I could see three other or two other ridge tops. And then the third was the one I was standing on. And so those all kind of had some drainage type feature in them that kind of all dumped together. And the second one being in the middle, um, from the top of that to the bottom of this little hole in between these ridges, maybe was a 50 foot, difference in elevation you know it wasn't super super drastic so i knew i could keep a pretty consistent wind up in there because those bottoms are hard to hunt you know the wind swirling pushing around but i knew this one was going to be good because i was going to be able to keep that consistent wind and uh i was like well this is looking good and it was a hellhole to get to it was it was thick the green briars were holding me up and it was gnarly but when i got there the opposite side of those three ridges was a rock wall i mean it was an 80 foot drop and every deer that wanted to go from one, two or three or from one, two or three had to go through there. Okay. And it was absolutely tore up with buck sign. And, uh, I knew it was the spot. Yeah. All right. So was this a spot that you could access from multiple directions or did you have to have a specific wind direction to get in there? I mean, uh, because I'm envisioning this, this layout that you've just described. And for some reason, I am envisioning winds that just aren't consistent or am I wrong here? So I was getting a little bit of that, that backlash that like when the wind stops and hits the back of your neck, yeah. um, I was getting it, 
and it, it happened probably three or four times and it, it did have me a little bit worried, but I was pretty high from where those deer were coming down just because of the, the way the terrain shifted as quick as it did in such a short angle, you know, and I was hoping that I could kind of get away with it. Um, but it did. Yeah. The wind was bouncing around in there off the tops, but I was just close enough to the top of that number two ridge that the wind was pretty consistent for about 90% of the time. But yeah, I only had, I only had one access point. Cause it was, it was, you know, that rock wall on one side and, uh, it was a pond to come across that, you know, I had to walk a beaver dam to get across to get in there. Gotcha. And so it sounds like the access limited other people from finding or getting to this spot. Uh, and you just had the, uh, I guess, I don't know, the guts or, or the, the motivation to, to, go that extra little bit and walk across that beaver dam and get back in there. Right. Yeah. I think that, that beaver dam was, uh, definitely holding some people out of there. I mean, I didn't see a tire track or a boot track. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I think that I was just, you know, to the point where I exhausted most of the options I thought I had. And I was like, something's got, I got to find something different. I got to do something other people aren't right now. Yeah. And that meant potentially having cold, wet feet, but you know, I got, I got new socks and boots, so I was going to try it out. Yeah. You got to do it. Right. So yeah, absolutely. Um, you find the spot. Did you hunt right away set up once you found it set up right away or did you have to go back to the vehicle to get your stuff or did you have all that stuff on your back already? So I carried my bow in with me and, uh, I went in there and I, I looked at the sign and I looked at where those deer were traveling in terms of those ridges and I was trying to pinpoint a tree to get in. Um, and the trees were pretty limited. They were, they were all kind of, they're real, uh, bent almost at the tops and they leaned really hard downhill. And there was a, there was a couple of smaller trees I could have got in. And one of them, one of them looked pretty good. So when I got there, uh, there was a Southeast wind and that's what I came in on. And the wind was kind of, I knew I was kind of torching the first ridge by walking down it and having my wind blow down it, but that left, that left two and three wide open and that gut wide open to shoot and do. Um, so that's the wind I used to get in there. And that's the wind I used to pick a tree. And as I was picking that tree, I was standing next to it, trying to envision a bow shot. Cause it was super, super thick in there. That was the other reason I liked the spot too. I should mention that it was really thick with briars and, uh, and small sh- like shrub trees. And I figured the deer probably felt pretty comfortable in there. You know, they had, they had plenty of security cover and probably would move in there in daylight without any hesitation. So I picked that tree and as I'm, you know, kind of envisioning where I could shoot down through, I hear some commotion out of that bottom coming up and I instantly know it's a deer running. So I put an arrow in my bow and I take a knee and this doe comes up like probably 65 yards. And I think she hit my boot track cause I'd walked down a little ways and peeked over the edge and, uh, she didn't blow or anything, but she turned around and went back down. And when she did, I could hear a buck running and they chased around in circles for quite a while down in there. And I eventually snuck up to the edge and they were gone. And I said, well, maybe if I sit on the ground here, uh, maybe they'll come back through. He'll push her back through. Ended up passing a a decent six pointer. Uh, About a half hour later, he came cruising through and and he went by. And so I said, you know, this is, I got to get back here tomorrow. First thing. It was like four 30 at night. Okay. At this point. So, so did you set a stand up in there or was your plan then to just hunt from the ground? So my plan was to come in at daylight, like be leaving the truck with my pack on at legal shooting light. So I could find a tree because the wind had shifted overnight. Okay. Um, which they didn't call for. I actually didn't realize that until I got there. 
And so I just waited it out. I waited for it to get a little light and I kind of J hooked once I got uh, across that dam and I came up a different side and uh, that's how I picked a tree. I, I wanted a little light so I could see because it was so thick in there. I knew if I just climbed a tree in the dark, getting a shot out of it was going to be Impossible. pretty slim. Yeah. Yeah, I've yeah. been there before. Yep. <laughs> Nothing pisses you off more when you're doing a running gun setup and then you you're like, "Oh god, I feel real good." And then as the as the uh deer you can hear the deer crunching and then it gets light and you're like, "I have absolutely zero shooting lanes anywhere." You've like set up in a in a tree with all the low branches. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that sucks. And I didn't want to I didn't want to be tearing down and setting back up, you know, in crucial or potentially crucial times. So yeah. Yep. I uh, had to burn a little bit of daylight to do it, but I, you know, I knew that I'd be doing it once at that point. Yeah, so. absolutely. All right. So you, you get in there. Um, what, like, were you seeing any deer movement as you were walking into this area? No. And I didn't figure that I would, unless they were bedded right there and let me walk up to them. Cause those briars are, you know, unfortunately it was so thick that I was trying to go as quiet as I can, but I mean, I knew that I was making noise. There, those briars are so hard to get through and get under and there was a lot of blowdowns there's a lot of tangle up on the top and it was it was pretty tough getting in there that was the other reason i figured that i probably i actually when i went to scout it questioned whether or not i should even try to go through that because what is on the other side other than more of this you know yeah um yeah. so i figured you know if i get across that was like, well, i'm here you know i'm here to hunt so i'm already three quarters the way to where i wanted to go if i burn an extra hour what's it matter let me go check it out and i'm glad i did yeah. Um, cause it turned out obviously real good, but yeah, yeah, I didn't blow any deer out, but I did get up in the tree and a spike horn came down with his nose to the ground cruising by it. Like, I don't know, 40 minutes later. And that was pretty good. Cause I knew my set was working and I wasn't getting busted. So that was a nice, I mean, I think that year old buck would let a lot more go, but yeah. I was, so I was happy to see work. So that morning that, uh, that little buck comes through, were, were you planning on sitting there all day then? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I always try to sit all day when I'm out on a trip. Cause that's what you're there for. You know, you're spending money to go hunt. So I've never understood eating, eating lunch in the truck when you can carry it in with you. Right. Right. All right. So you are, you're sitting there, uh, you see that buck come through how long before the next deer came through. So it was four o'clock when the next deer came through and it was the one I shot. Oh, dang. So you sat there all day without seeing anything. And the next year that Not came, one year. <laughs> uh, were you starting to get any type of discouraged questioning whether or not you picked the right spot? No, cause the sign was there. I knew, I knew the spot was good. It was just a matter of time before something was going to come cruising through there. Yeah. Um, with the activity that I saw the night before and last, you know, in that half hour, hour, whatever that I sat there that, and all the buck sign, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of rubs down in the bottom and there was a, a pile of you know, historical rub trees that were still being worked. And I knew that, you know, with the time, uh, something was going to happen. All right. So we're fast forwarding to four o'clock. Uh, yeah. Kind of walk us through, you know, from the point that you saw him, walk us through what, what he did, what you did and how you got to airline him. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, it was about four o'clock and, I heard some crunching from behind me and I'm, I'm in a saddle. I'm hunting out of a saddle. So, um, I don't know if you, you don't saddle hunt. So, um, I guess anyway, I had to turn around and so I threw my tether over my shoulder, bow arm went 
underneath the tether and I was backwards in the tree. And this crunching started getting closer, closer, closer. And I'm like, this isn't a deer. I can hear it. I'm like, this maybe, I don't know if it's a turkey. I don't know if it's a deer, but I don't think it's a deer. It's not, I don't hear any limbs breaking. Like it's definitely, uh, definitely making a lot of noise. But so I went to turn around and I was like, you know, I say that, but I'm going to feel really dumb if I turn back around and hang my bow up and a deer comes up behind me and I got to get spun back around. I'm already here. Just stay here. Yeah. So I stood there for about five minutes and uh, it ended up being a turkey. I saw it after <laughs> I saw the turkey after I shot the deer, but, um, so I was still backwards and I heard him grunt and I couldn't tell where it come from at first. And then I heard him grunt again and, uh, they were just real quick tending grunts and he grunted again and he was behind me. He was coming into my, my lane that I had envisioned they would come from the way I was set up, except for now, instead of it being my strong side side shot, it was, uh, behind me. Gotcha. So I peeked over my shoulder real quick and I could see two deer coming down to the trail and I've got two and a half call it shooting lanes, uh, out of that tree. And that was about the best I could find anywhere. I spent a lot of time standing back and looking at those trees. I walked up to him because it was so thick and my furthest shot was going to be like 23, 24 yards. Um, it was, it was real tight in there. So anyway, I look over my shoulder and I see him. I see the horns. I'm like, okay, this is a deer. I'm, I'm definitely going to try to put an arrow in if he gives me the opportunity. And so I kind of roll against the tree with my left shoulder and uh, get my bow up. And I go to draw my bow, and I'm probably halfway back, and the deer stop. So I freeze. And I couldn't hold the bow half half pull anymore, so I started letting it back down real slowly. And as I did, they proceeded to come down the trail some more. So um I kind of gave it a second, and as I saw the doe coming into my vision now, because I had the tree blocking him, I had to let him walk past my tree before I could shoot him um, or get a shot at him. And so as I start to see the doe coming through the brush, um, I draw and get anchored. And uh, they both stop again, and he's still not anywhere I can get a shot. And the doe bounds four or five yards and stops again. She was this little tiny fawn, probably a 65-pound fawn. He was running the hell out of her tongue was hanging right out of her mouth. So, uh, she stopped again, you know, she was just exhausted. And when she did, he kind of approached her and went to put his nose up under her tail and he just stopped there like in a full sneak, you know? Yep. And, uh, he stopped and I had his shoulder and his neck. That's all I had. He was, he was still in those briars pretty hard, but, um, I was pretty confident that I had, I could get that arrow in there. No problem. So, uh, I settled the pin uh, gave myself the the quick talk to not get weird and just just let an arrow happen, you know. Um, told myself to hold it together there for a second, just follow through, follow through, follow through. And on that third one, I let that arrow zing, and I watched that green luminog disappear in his shoulder. Yeah. So was he full frontal, or was he kind of hard quartering towards? Uh, he broadside really hard. Oh, so it was broadside really hard, but you shot neck instead of behind the shoulder. I shot shoulder. Yeah. Oh, you I, shot, I shoulder. shot shoulder. Okay. Okay. Only, yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It was the only thing I had. He was, uh, he was just covered in briars. Gotcha. And and brush. So it just his head and his okay neck and shoulder was exposed. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. So you let the arrow go. Instant reaction. First thing that uh, you know, you have that bow hunters we have this reaction or hunters in general whatever dead or well uh, you know like uh like what was your initial uh, reaction 
he smashed. Yeah, I knew he was dead. Yeah, good. Yep. And that's a good yep. feeling to have, yep. isn't it? Oh, absolutely. It's a great feeling to have, especially when you're 15 hours from home, man. <laughs> it's great. It's great. So yeah. were you able to watch him fall, or did he run off and disappear? So he... He took off at about 115 miles an hour. Maybe it was 117 miles an hour. I'm not quite sure, but it was quick. He uh, he made quick work at that bottom, and I didn't hear him anymore. And I was like thinking to myself, I'm like, wait a minute. You know, I know I just I knew I got a full pass through because I saw the leaves fly behind him. I actually lost the arrow because the shot angle it ended up going down under the leaves, and I lost that arrow. But um, which sucks because we got a lot of money into those. That's um, right. But that's okay. I got the deer, so that's fine. Yeah. Uh, so I lost sight of him and I couldn't hear him anymore. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, how did that deer, I just took both of his lungs out. I know I did. There's no way I didn't. How did he, how's he still going? You know? And, uh, all of a sudden I, I hear him again and I look up and he's starting to walk up that ridge, that number three ridge, let's call it back toward that stone wall. And then he just stops and he's standing there and I'm like, what the hell is going on? You know, he's not wobbly or anything. He's just standing there kind of looking down. And, uh, at the time I'm like, what is going on here? You know, he took off again and went head first into that rock wall and, uh, actually ended up breaking his G3 off clean at the base. Oh, damn. That's, did you yep. find the G3? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I spent some time looking. I found it. Good. Good. So at least you can give it to the taxidermist and say, Hey, fix this. Oh yeah. Yep. That's awesome, man. Um, so you, you made it, you made it happen. Right. And, uh, so you, uh, you get down, you walk over to him, you put your hands on him, uh, for the first time. What are you thinking about this whole experience at this point? I was kind of like lost for words, you know, I was just like in awe was yeah. just holding this deer up and it just meant so much to me to be able to go out there and do it and do it alone on top of it, you know, hundred yeah. percent solo public ground. I was just like, lost for words you know it was just uh it was a great feeling and it was my best buck and i killed him with a bow yeah and uh i actually scored him last night myself i watched a couple videos i'm not much for score but i was just kind of curious and uh i knew we were gonna have this talk so i kind of wanted to have a rough idea um and i scored him myself at 122 and four eights so oh really that's a great buck yeah uh, dude i yep. would have i just by looking at the picture i would have guessed differently i would have guessed higher than that um, but I will tell Maybe you, I did it wrong. I don't know, but I don't know much about it. It's the first time I've ever done it. Yeah. I, I, I look at this, the picture of this deer and I, I guess bigger, but one thing really? that is not a, uh, surprise, uh, as far as his, you know, a, a big bot, this, this buck looks like a pit bull. He, he has He's a huge. big body, he, big body. He's a big body, very short deer and very thick body deer. I actually yeah. just finished cutting him up this morning. Um, and he, I got a lot of meat off that deer. He was a thick deer. Yeah. I'll tell you this right now. Yeah. Um, one of the biggest antler deer that I've ever, I mean, I, I, it's that shipwreck deer that I always talk about as far as, uh, yeah. um, the deer that educated me the most, he was a short bodied deer too. He wasn't very long, but he was thick in the front end. And, uh, um, I've, I've run into a couple deer like that over, you know, over the years and, uh, just looks like a pit bull, man. So here's, uh, so now, now the, the question is you got him down and you got to drag him out over a beaver dam. How's that work? 
So I got my phone, those pictures I sent you, I stuck a couple sticks on the ground and uh, with like crotches in them and stuck my phone in there. And I'm like looking at this deer and I'm like, man, this thing's got a lot of horn. This is a lot more horn than I've ever put my hands on. Yeah. Uh, and I was still just like kind of starstruck. And by the time I got done looking at this thing, it was dark. And I'm like, oh, I haven't even taken any pictures yet. You know, I just couldn't get over it. So um, I got some pictures and I got him gut out and I dragged him up to the tree I was in, which was about 100 120 yards from from uh where he was laying yeah so i dragged him down over there and i got all my stuff together which i'd already done while i was you know i'm pretty firm believer in giving him an hour even if you see him go down um i wanted to just make sure you know i've got a tracking dog here at home that i've been tracking wounded deer with uh started this year doing it he's 10 months old, but he's been doing really good. And so I've kind of learned a lot from doing that. And, you know, definitely, even if I see him go down, I want to give him some time because you get some crazy calls and things that happen, you know? Yep. So I gave him the hour. I packed up all my stuff. Um, I took my jacket off and, you know, my hat and all that good stuff. I got everything put away and only kept my release and my bow and my rangefinder out and, uh, got my sticks put on. I took, I've got like an eight foot rope mod, so I took one of those off and I wrapped that around his horn and uh, around his antler and I put that to a nice big limb I found and snapped off the end. I dragged him up there. I got my pack on. I grabbed my bow and uh, started dragging and then realized that I had my work cut out for me. Yeah. Uh, that was a pull down out of there. I mean, I was probably, took me three and a half hours. I was about a half mile out. So um, Is... it took... Go What's ahead. That? Go ahead. It took some serious, some serious work, man. The, those vines and briars were so thick that I was just getting caught. I mean, I was literally pulling that deer three or four yards at a time, five at max, and I was having to drop the rope, untangle him, pull him a little more again, you know. And so I was pull, unhook him, grab the stick, grab my bow back up off the ground, pull him again because I pulled him all out with all my stuff. I didn't want to have to go back in there that night, you know. Yeah. Um, so I pulled them out with all my stuff. And then when I got down to that beaver pond, I realized that I had dropped down about a hundred yards too far to the left. So I had to drag him up through the alders to get to the dam because the pond was like a sheer drop off and I wasn't going to go waist deep. So yeah, uh, I had to drag him all the way up through the alders, which I could have just gone downhill to the dam, but I missed it in the dark. Yeah. Um, dragged him up through there, got to the, the dam and uh, I threw him into the water, threw him over the bank there and uh, I just floated him across. Actually, I didn't know if he'd float or not, being that the gut cavity was open. Um, but he did. He it was the easiest part of the whole pole. Yeah. And pulled him across, pulled him up onto the bank on the other side. And at that point, I was close enough to my truck. I brought all my stuff to my truck, and I needed some water, you know. So I drank two bottles of water and uh, cooled off for a second. I went back down there, and that last hundred yards was the hardest pole of the whole thing, man. It was straight uphill the deer was like sliding away from me i'd pull two three feet and it'd slide down away from me and i was i was having to like anchor myself as i was catching my breath and uh that took a while um, yeah that was hard Damn. that was hard so <laughs> is, is that uh, a state so in iowa you have to remove the deer hole you can't quarter them up in the in the woods and take them out is ohio like that as well i'm not sure the actual law i haven't put my eyes on them but i did ask a um, like a resource officer or what, ha whatever you want to call him that was out there. He wasn't a game warden, but he worked for, I think he said he worked for, uh, 
I can't remember now. He worked for a park, um, one of the parks out there that's all public. And he said they had to come out whole, but I didn't, I didn't go and read it myself. Um, it did cross my mind just to pack it out. Cause I've done that in the past. I've done that other places and it crossed my mind, but I was, you know, pretty far from a good knife and I didn't want to walk back in there and go back in with all my stuff and, and my block and tackle and rig him up and cut him up the night and then end up hanging him in the tree overnight or whatever. I, I was pretty determined that I could get out of there. Yeah. So I just kept, kept pulling. Yeah. Well, you got him, you got him out, right? I did. Uh, and it, I got him out. It yep. makes it all worth it in the end, right? Absolutely. Every part of it, every, every part, part of, it. of it, every footstep, man. What was that? What Always was that does. 15 hour drive home? Like, it was great. It went, it flew. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. That's awesome. I man. felt good. I was coming home with some horns, some good horns to show all my buddies and, and my girlfriend, she was super, super proud, super happy for me. You know, she knew this was something that meant a lot to me to go out and do. She's pretty nervous. She didn't want me to go out there alone and whatnot. And, uh, you know, she's ecstatic. She's the girl that when I call her, she always knows if I'm calling, I got something dead, you know? So yeah. when I call her at four 30 at night, she's already freaking out on the phone you know so it was cool she was excited you know she was pumped up see those horns too when i got home so that's cool that man. was that made it all the better yeah yeah, yeah it was super cool yeah she, uh, she made these oatmeal raisin cookies for me before i left man and i think i went to survive it up that was like a main staple of my <laughs> diet for seven days i lived off those she sent me like 50 i didn't come home with any oh hey you know you come back with uh, a big buck and some diabetes and it's a win right it's all good, man. It's all I figured, good. hey, we're burning them off, so keep eating them. Excellent. Uh, that, yeah. That's the way to look at it. That's definitely the way to look at it. Yep. Well, I tell you what, yep. man, um, congratulations on an awesome adventure, an awesome uh, deer. And uh, are you going back to Ohio next year? Yeah, yeah, I'll be back for sure. Yep. Cool, man. Well, congratulations again. Thank you, sir. I appreciate your time today. And there you have it, another episode in the books. Huge shout out to all you guys who continue to listen. Keep grinding out there if you haven't found success yet. Um, your time is going to come. Uh, the more time you spend in the woods, the more chances you're going to have uh, on, a, on a deer. So if you if you start to get lazy, uh, just hear these words echo in, the, in, in your mind. Get off your ass and go hunt. Hunt your balls off, all right? Go do it. Uh, so huge shout out to Ozonics, Lone Wolf, Exodus, Excalibur, Wasp, Vortex, and Hunt Stand. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. Lastly, I'm sending good vibes out to all of you. Open up your arms and, and, and catch them and go out into the woods and uh, hunt your ass off. Go get the job done. And most importantly, guys, wear a safety harness. And we'll talk to you next week. Thank <laughs> you.